the system really was designed, theory, to handle anything you want to throw at it. And specifically, anything you want to throw at it. Right. Like when you think about attack vectors, you know, like one of the potential attack vectors is to artificially inflate the price and then try to crash the price. And so, like, this isn't something that was uh, not only not planned for, like, this was, this is expected. Like, if anything, this is what the protocol is designed to handle. So the fact that, right. that the test is just so large because the order of mag- – like, there was literally four or five times, the like, the total market cap of the system that came in in, a, in just a few hours. Like, the <laughs> test is a big test. But at the same time, and we don't say this lightly, Beanstalk is designed to be resistant to attack from governments. It's designed to be resistant to a, to Soros type attacks. It's designed to be resistant. Period. So it, it's just very exciting to see and to also have the opportunity for Beanstalk to show that even in such an infant state, even with such a, an unsustainable period of growth for a couple of hours, even with all of that capital immediately leaving the system, the system fights on and the system lives to fight another day. And eventually, the peg will be returned. And at that point, the system is going to be in a really, really, really good position moving forward. And that's what excites us now. Welcome to Mission DeFi with Brad Nickel where we explore projects in decentralized finance that are innovating and driving our mission of financial freedom forward. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review Mission DeFi and spread the word by posting a tweet to the show. All opinions expressed by Brad Nickel or his guests are their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Black Knox, Material Indicators, or any other affiliated organizations. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Brad Nickel or his guests as an inducement to make a particular investment, follow a particular strategy, or become involved with any project. A project being featured on the show is not an endorsement of that project in any way. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Now, here's Mission DeFi with Brad Nickel. I'm excited to have a uh, fairly new project on the show today. We are talking about Beanstalk, which the core of the project is an algorithmic stable coin. And I have the team from Beanstalk, Publius, here with us today. And I want to welcome you guys and uh, thank you for coming on. And I can't wait to kind of talk about the value proposition and what you guys are creating. But if you could first kind of give us a little bit of background about how you got into crypto and then, you know, the origin story of how this whole thing came about and why you created it. Sure thing. So thank, first off, thank you for having us on, on Brad. It's, it's a real pleasure. So, and we appreciate you, you offering this platform for us to share a little bit of what we've been working on. So we, we're a team that has been in, in crypto in varying capacities for almost five years now in our, in our varying capacities. 
and kind of stretching from like deep economic analysis on tokens and more on the investment side of things. And then also, you know, some of our team members as evidenced by the code and the development side are deeply technical on the on the smart contract development side. So we've been, you know, the team has known each other for an extended period of time. And about a year ago, as ESD was really blowing up, it, it it became evident to us that A, this was a real place that the market placed a lot of value in as something that the market needed, specifically a decentralized algorithmic stable coin that was not backed by collateral. And that was also evidenced to us by like the frenzy around ESD clones like Fay, excuse me, DSD and TSD. And then ultimately, you know, in March of this year, when Fay launched at, at you know, almost uh, $2 billion committed capital when they launched, you know, the market kind of reinforced that this is a really meaningful thing for, for cryptocurrency and the DeFi space to, to continue to grow. So we were asking ourselves around Thanksgiving of last year, where can we really, you know, we were looking for something to really put our hands on and, and build. And, you know, we asked ourselves, what are the biggest problems in, in the crypto space to solve right now? One, one is obviously scalability, but frankly, that's a little bit above our pay grade. And well, this, it seemed to us that the second biggest opportunity and the need in, in the cryptocurrency and DeFi space was a decentralized algorithmic stable coin. And so ultimately, we set down that path. We originally thought it would be a, a couple months work to make some slight modifications to the ESD design and fix some of their, you know, what we would call tragedy of the commons issues where some of the uh, game theoretic design was flawed. But ultimately, we basically couldn't help ourselves. And it ended up becoming like an all-consuming, all-encompassing, built from everything, you know, totally our own and original uh, so it, it quickly became all encompassing thing where, you know, we basically realized that A, we had a lot of a lot of potential and B, we felt an obligation to give this really everything in our power to to make it as give it the highest possible chance of success possible. So that's that's that ended up being about nine months or so of development and working on the white paper and getting everything set up. And about 50 days ago or so, we finally deployed the contract to the Ethereum mainnet. Okay. So you're, you were saying, and I'm going to make sure I understood this. You guys started off kind of saying, okay, can we take the existing contracts from the ESD project and tweak it, make it better, fix some of the game theoretics, and then we'll get something out in a couple of months. And instead, you guys ended up basically starting from scratch or, or continuing down that path, but just doing a whole lot more to what, to what you were creating. So the, and this does start to get into a little bit of the, the mechanism design, but you know, if you look at something like ESD, very simply, it says that when the price is too high, increase supply, and when the price is too low, try to decrease supply. Right. And so that that really was the starting point. So, for, you know, it, it, it's not fair to say that we we started from scratch sure, uh, sure, from it. an economics perspective. But 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 once we once we realized what our our vision for what the system should actually look like consisted of, it ended up requiring sort of a ground up reimagining of the entire system, nice. with with the starting point being you know, increase supply when the price is too high and decrease supply when the price is too low. Nice. Okay. So I think that's, that's great. And I look, I 
you know, I think there's a lot to be said for for utilizing other open source code, but I think there's also something to be said for not 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 inheriting other people's technical debt, but also um, being able to understand exactly what you're creating from the ground up. So I think there's value there. I think it's important. So we have a wide variety of listener types here on the show. We have, you know, full on DGENs that don't have any idea what they're investing in. They just throw money at high APRs. We have technical people, project leads, a lot of project leads that listen to the show. And so they'll really understand at a technical level. And then we have just kind of casual investors and people who are enthusiastic about the DeFi space. And they follow another project and started listening to the podcast because we interviewed somebody. But I think one of the things that people um, need a better explanation of is really kind of theoretically how algorithmic stable coins work, right? You talked about increasing supply and decreasing supply to alter the price to get it closer to its peg. But can you explain for people why that works? And I, and I think we're seeing more and more projects trying to, not just in the stablecoin arena, really trying to uh, utilize human psychology to influence how a particular project performs. But I'd like to, if you could kind of give us a bigger picture look and then climb into Beanstalk and what you guys have created and why it's why you think it's better. Cer certainly. So the, the starting point is, you know, what is a stable coin? And there are obviously a wide variety of different stable coins already on the market. So a stable coin is just any blockchain based asset that is uh, designed to retain a market value uh, equivalent to a non blockchain native asset. So by far, there seems to be the most demand for US dollar stable coins. And this is almost certainly because the US dollar is the global reserve currency and is used all around the world. And so there's a, a high demand to bring US dollars onto the blockchain. But of course, because dollars don't exist natively on the blockchain, there needs to be something to bridge bridge them onto the chain. And so in the case of Ethereum, uh, so there are two other, in addition to purely algorithmic stablecoins, there are two other collateralized models, the first being the Tether and the USDC model, where basically a private company says, we're going to issue on the blockchain like a USDC for every dollar that we hold in a bank account. And therefore, you can, you know, as long as you trust us, who are holding the money in a bank account, you can basically get dollars on the blockchain. And on the one hand, this offers really high utility, and it is by far the most popular version of a USD stablecoin today with over 100 billion of these types in existence. But it really does present a fundamental weakness, which is the reliance on a centralized party to administer the system. And given the, the current regulatory picture, and there seems to be a large a desire on the part of regulators to give crypto a really hard time in a lot of capacities. In the long run, this doesn't really appear to be a solution. So the market is actively looking for a way to replace the reliance on 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 collateralized, centralized USD stablecoins. And I think one of the other things that's been talked about a lot lately relevant to USDC is that they can actually blacklist wallets and addresses on the chain and not allow people to participate in transactions using USDC, which in effect, because of the dependency on USDC, could have a dramatic impact on a lot of DeFi projects if regulators force them to, to, to blacklist projects. So I definitely think that's another big concern we all should be 
uh, really thinking about. So I'm always glad to see uh, more algorithmic work being done on the stablecoin front. Just to, to wrap up that point and kind of introduce one of the aspects of Beanstalk is that we, we've really gone uh, and done everything we can to make this as decentralized and become more decentralized over time. But one of the design decisions directly along what you're talking about with blacklisting potentially USDC from addresses is that we didn't build the 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 Oracle for the bean price from a, a Uniswap pool that trades against USDC. Instead, we built it using two pools to so the USDC ETH pool and then also the bean ETH pool. And then by uh, comparing the ratio of beans to ETH and USDC to ETH, we can derive a price for a bean, but without exposing it to you know the operators of USDC. So to go into DAI now, DAI offers an interesting alternative whereby you can basically add value and actually the collateral that they allow you to add isn't necessarily decentralized. So there is some level of centralization still with DAI, but ultimately you can add collateral to a CDP, uh, collateralized debt position, and then mint DAI against your CDP. And you know the idea being that the smart contract enforces that at least 150%. You know your die value against your CDP will be collateralized in in the in the smart contract, and therefore you know there's a guarantee that there will always be more assets backing the die. But the problem is, of course, this is very capital inefficient, and in practice, you know it, who can say what the actual market size for this is. But fundamentally, having to lock up Ethereum or another Ethereum native asset to create a USD stablecoin is not really a good solution. And that's evidenced by the really high borrowing costs to use DAI. And in practice, if you look at the high borrowing costs for both collateralized stablecoins that are operated by a centralized operator and something like DAI, which is a little bit more decentralized, the borrowing costs for both of these types of stablecoins is effectively cost prohibitive. So if you think about like what 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 could be done, like for example, I said we got into crypto around five years ago. One of the things that was promised was Augur and all sorts of really interesting decentralized betting markets were potentially one of the main use cases for this technology. But fundamentally, if you have like 20% borrowing costs on your underlying asset, that basically changes the math on what is a cost-effective bet to make. And therefore, basically what actually is a market that you can make on Augur is drastically reduced. So something, and Beanstalk is designed to do this, but something that can radically change the tide and basically make the holding or the opportunity cost for just holding the currency near zero is is potentially a really meaningful fix to bring a lot more of this technology into a range where it's financially viable, even if it's technologically viable. So that's kind of the lay of the land as it currently stands. And that's also the opportunity that Beanstalk sees as what we're looking to to really disrupt. And, you know, the opportunity to offer, and we'll, we'll get into it, but instead of paying like really high borrowing costs, I don't need to tell you what the cost is to borrow a real dollar in the physical world today, but to be paying orders of magnitude higher to borrow a dollar on chain is just fundamentally wrong. So the, the goal is how do we flip that yeah. dynamic?
Now let's talk about how Beanstalk functions and why it's different and why you feel like it's a superior model. And then kind of let's walk through the other components of the protocol and the platform after that. Right. So fundamentally, the the way Beanstalk works and the way it has worked since it was launched, meaning there was no pre-mine, there was no pre-sale from the time the contract was deployed on Ethereum when the initial 100 begins did 100% of the growth in the supply has been, you know, as determined by the algorithm as it normally functions. So how does Beanstalk actually work? Uh, every hour, which in, the, in, in Beanstalk, we refer to it as a season. So right. every season, every hour, the Beanstalk price oracle is queried at the top of the hour. And if the price is too high, the system increases the bean supply. And if the price is too low, the system creates soil, which is the willingness to take on debt. And anytime the system is willing to take on debt, so anytime it has issued soil, anyone who holds beans uh, can take their beans and lend the beans to the protocol in exchange for pods, and pods being the debt-bearing asset of the system. So anytime the price is below one, and in fact, the system is always willing to issue debt, but specifically when the price is below one, the system will raise the interest rate on the, on the debt. And so by raising the interest rate, the system can basically, or lowering the interest rate if the price is too high, the system can effectively toggle in a, in a somewhat deterministic way, the supply and demand for beans. And by every hour taking a sample of the system and adjusting the supply of beans the supply of soil, so the willingness to take on debt, and the interest rate on that debt, the system can you know, respond to market conditions in, in somewhat real time, and over time, return the price of one bean to one peg, uh, to one dollar, excuse me. And the main, the main idea being, and there's a lot of, you know, like behavioral economic theory kind of built into this thing sure. is that over time as the expectation that beanstalk will at some point return the price of beans to a dollar because it has done so in the past the expectation is that the market will over time start to closer and closer track the price of a dollar and real deviations from the price of a dollar will be reflective of actual like real increases or decreases in the equilibrium price of beans as a result of changes in the supply and or demand for beans. So really, you know, obviously right now with the system having just launched a month and a half ago, there is no real expectation at this point in time that beans will return to a dollar. And so all of the mechanism is kind of on full display and really, you know, being put through the ringer and having to show off its muscle and its design, which ultimately is a good thing. But over time, we expect the volatility will come down significantly and the price will generally track the value on US dollar. So yeah, that's very interesting. So obviously, um, I wanna make, I wanna kind of recap what I got from how the system functions. And I think I got it. And the idea is this, is that when the price, when the price is over a dollar, you are increasing supply in order to drive the price per bean down. And the reason for that is, is that behaviorally, 
the more of something there is, the less value it has, supply and demand kind of basics. And then when the price gets below a dollar, you actually are are pulling beans out of the market with borrowing uh, borrowing against the or borrowing beans, borrowing against the beans to reduce the supply and increase the overall value of each bean to get it back to the peg. Is that basically the whole concept? Yeah, and maybe just a, a, a semantic correction on verbiage, but the 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 protocol is the one that is burning the beans, and Got so it. in practice, like bean stock needs to attract creditors. So right. any like the only way that in the long run bean stock fails is if it is unable to attract credit. But so the the number of participants the the, is critical. The interest rate mechanism. Well, exactly. And so the idea being, as long as the system can uh, react by altering the weather, the interest rate, the weather being the, the name of the interest rate in the system, but by by altering the weather, by toggling the interest rate, the system can find a price where it has creditors. So given that the system is like novel and going through its first debt cycle, the expectation is that this is going to be one of the highest interest rates it probably ever has to pay. And over time, as it establishes a, a decent credit history, the willingness for people to lend to the protocol should should improve over time. That's very cool. Now let's go through let, let's go through the components of the system, right? And what the experience is of someone who is saying, I want to be a part of I want to be a part of Beanstalk. I like this model. It makes a lot of sense to me. What, what are the ways that they can participate? What are the components of the system called? You know, looking at the website, I see silo, field, trade, obviously. And then you talked about we talked about weather. We talked about soil being the debt market. And I think there's also stocks in the market. Lots of verbiage. Lots yes. of verbiage. Yeah. Yes. So can you kind yeah. of relate each of those components to things that some things that people might be used to? You've already kind of done that to some extent, but also then in, in doing Strong so, point. let people know how they can participate and why, why it could be valuable to them to participate. Obviously no guarantees. So one of the one of the main design considerations of being stock is like what 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 do people actually want to have if we assume that being stock is kind of ubiquitous and so the 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 first opportunity to participate in being stock or you know benefit if being stock continues to grow is to simply deposit beans in the silo and the silo basically you can think of it as the bank but it's really the DAO that controls Beanstalk. And so in practice, this is basically like a simple USD deposit account where you earn interest on your deposits. And this is kind of the base layer of interacting with Beanstalk. So if you have a, a Bean deposit, you're basically earning passive interest and there's no action required from you know being depositor in the silo. Okay. So if you said, I think this is interesting, you can literally just take exposure to the price of beans, deposit those beans in the in the silo. And then upon deposit, and this gets into a little bit more of the verbiage, you get stock and seeds. So stock is the ownership token of the DAO. So if you own stock, uh, that entitles you to vote 
and governance decisions, Beanstalk improvement proposals. So you have a, a, a vote in the future of the system. But on top of that, stock is also you know, the asset that determines how much of bean supply increases you are entitled to. Okay. So anytime the bean supply increases, meaning the price was above one for a season over the course of an hour, the average price was above one. So the system is going to mint more beans. Um, your percentage, your the amount of beans that you are entitled to from that mint is determined by your stock ownership. Got it. So the more you deposit in the silo, the more stock that you have, and therefore, you know, the more interest you will earn. That's awesome. Um, okay. So the the other asset that I I just introduced is a is a seed where the only function of seeds and basically this was primarily implemented as a second asset both stock and seeds will become ERC20s and liquid and tradable in the near future but the reason seeds exist is to create an an opportunity cost to withdrawing assets from the silo so basically every hour every season that goes by uh, every seed that you own yields an additional one ten thousandth of a stock. And so basically, if you're if you're in the silo for an extended period of time, the amount of stock that you will have earned from those seeds goes up linearly. And if you were to withdraw your assets from the silo, you must forfeit all of the seeds and stock that is related to your deposit. Uh, and so therefore, people are encouraged to stay in the silo for longer, continuous periods of time. And that does create like sort of a base of capital that is going to stay in the system over, you know, even during downswings. So for example, right now, and looking at how that actually has played out during the first debt cycle, about 80% of the beans that were in the silo stayed in the silo during this first debt cycle which is very exciting given that, you know, in, in something comparable like ESD during the debt cycles, almost 90% of the assets, and I, and I am making up that number, but it was a very large uh, percentage of the assets would immediately leave the silo or, you know, in the case of ESD, it was the Dow because there was no expectation of profit for staying in, in the Dow with the price below a dollar. Right. So th this does create much more consistency on that front. So essentially, it's, it causes a bank run unless there's an incentive, and the incentive that 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 people get for staying in your, in the silos is that they're earning more stock, bean stocks, and what's the other thing? Sorry. Well, the the seed stays fixed, but right. the, the seeds yield more stock over Got it. time. So okay. the opportunity cost comes from the requirement to burn the extra stock. Okay. Got it. And the people that when at what point is there like a maturity on this where a withdrawal doesn't equal loss of those gains or how, how does that work so so with, you can withdraw your assets from the silo at any time so you can withdraw your at there's any time you want you can withdraw from the silo in order to withdraw from the silo you have to burn all of the seeds and stock related to whatever assets you're withdrawing okay. um, so there is never a point where you like actually get those stock and you can withdraw it and still hold ownership in the protocol. Yeah, that makes but sense. But in practice, you know, the, the only liquidity limit on the silo is assets are frozen for 24 hours upon withdrawal. Okay. And so this is now going to require us to take a little bit of a 
leap forward on the technical front, but there's something in the system called a season of plenty, whereby basically if the system has low debt and a high price for 24 seasons straight, so for a full day, the system will automatically mint extra beans and sell those beans on unit and then distribute the Ethereum to stockholders from that sale. And so when you combine when you combine the 24 season withdrawal time with the 24 season soft timer, you basically make it so that uh, anyone who's withdrawing from the silo has to make sort of a price independent decision on whether to withdraw or not. Now, now I get it. So it's it's like a, a governance token at that point. That's why you're not keeping any of the that that's coming in, but you're gaining the benefits of the system because you have that ownership in the DAO or the silo. And that's why you're not retaining that when you leave because you're no longer participating in the system. And then there are going to be built in bonuses or capabilities because you will be minting more beans when the price remains above a dollar for more than 24 hours. And the proceeds of those bean sales will go to those folks that are in the silo. Yeah, that that is generally correct. So um, in addition to the simple deposit account where you can deposit beans in the silo, uh, you can also deposit liquidity pool tokens, LP tokens for the bean ETH Uniswap pool. And this is obviously to encourage consistent liquidity in in the bean ETH pool. And, you know, an additional small incentive to add LP as opposed to just straight beans is that you do get more seeds uh, per bean that you deposit. And so the there is a slight incentive to add LP into the silo, deposit LP in the silo as opposed to just depositing beans, but both are uh, you know, totally viable ways for people to get exposure to to bean stock. So, so that is like depositing in the silo is the passive option for players who 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 are interested in bean stock. And and like we said, there's no action required from silo members. They can set it and forget it if they'd like. And then on the flip side, you know, we've talked a little bit about the the lending market. What's known as the field, uh, okay. which is the decentralized credit facility of Beanstalk. And so the field is not a, a place where there's passive returns. Instead, it's, it's an active lending market. So if, if instead of depositing in the silo, you, you want to sow beans in the field, which sowing is is lending beans to Beanstalk, you know, all of that is, right. is requires a little bit more of an active maintenance. But on top of that, you can potentially earn, you know, a, a higher rate of return for being an active participant on the debt market side. So in terms of the the lending process, the field process, I could buy beans, deposit them in the field, and then the protocol would borrow against it when the price of bean is below a dollar, and I would earn whatever the current weather rate or interest rate is at that time against those that I had deposited in the field. But when the price is above, I'm not earning anything from it. So that's kind of why there's like a a more active role for someone who's investing in that way. So generally correct. Uh, A couple of things to clarify is if you lend money to Beanstalk, you only get paid off when the bean supply grows. And so everyone who is a member of the ecosystem really receives their interest when, when the bean supply is growing. But the underlying dynamic 
and, and economic incentives and structure around lending beans to, to the protocol is sort of fundamentally different than depositing assets in the silo. So to walk you through a little bit of how that works, the 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 terminology just restated for clarity. So soil is the willingness to like borrow beans. So anytime Beanstalk has soil in the field, it says if you know if there's a million soil, Beanstalk right now is willing to borrow up to a million beans. Okay. And the 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 interest rate Beanstalk will offer uh, to borrow those beans is the weather. And so the weather changes every season based on you know supply the price, the debt level, and demand for soil and changing demand for soil specifically. But the, the idea being that by um, by changing the weather, we can we can toggle the interest that people may have for 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 lending be, beans to beanstalk. Sure. So the economic structure uh, is if I if if I lend beans to Beanstalk right now, Beanstalk immediately burns those beans that I lent to the protocol, and in exchange for sowing beans, I get pods. And again, pods are the debt asset of the system. Okay. So pods, unlike stock, which just to reiterate, stock is paid pro rata every season. So if I have one percent of the stock. I get 1% of the payments to the silo. Okay. Uh, pods are paid on a first in first out basis. So uh, the sooner you lend money to Beanstalk, the sooner you get paid off. So there is, you know, when we talk about behavioral economic incentives, if we think about like an individual participant of the system deciding, should I lend money to Beanstalk or not? If the weather is high enough such that I feel like this is a good time to lend money to Beanstalk, I am incentivized to lend money to Beanstalk immediately. Because if not, someone else might and I will move back in the pod line and my overall return will go down. And so when you compare this to something like the the debt mechanism in, in ESD, this is like a primary example where we we think we've solved or are solving for some of the tragedy of the commons issues that were present in something like ESD, where just to state the specifics, the the interest rate for, for lending ESD to the protocol was determined by the debt level in the case of ESD. And so obviously, like someone lent money to ESD, raised the debt level, and therefore also raised the interest rate of the next participant. So there was this real tragedy of the commons issue where everyone was kind of waiting (laughs) for for the debt level to to go high enough. Exactly. And this created a problem where at the beginning of each debt cycle, you had like a a, a pre-forecasted and an easy to understand reason why the price was just going to tank. And so that ultimately is is something that in the case of Beanstalk, we think that there's a much, much, much more efficient market for the debt and Beanstalk than there were in previous algorithmic stablecoin attempts. Yeah, makes sense. When I when I deposit when when I deposit and lend to the protocol, so I'm looking at the website right now, right? It shows weather at 419%. So de- just just to just to just to clarify, so depositing and lending are are the two sides of the coin. So you Sorry. either deposit or you lend. lend. You can deposit and lend, but they're right. two different. Right. Yeah, just to just to clarify for everyone. 
Yeah, I think that for the reason I keep mixing it up is is the action of actually saying, okay, here's my coins to lend to you. It feels like a normal, like a deposit action in the interface. So lending to the protocol, it shows currently weathers at 419%. From the perspective of someone who is coming in and saying, okay, this this looks like a, a an opportunity to earn and to help the protocol get back to its peg. What what's the what's the experience like for them? So let's say I I, I put in one ETH right now, and that would equal 33,730 pods. I've I I lend to the protocol. And then the process is how long, how long should I leave that in? Does is the 419% an APR, an APY rate? Can you kind of relate to people what they're used to in other lending scenarios, what they should expect if they were going to participate? Definitely. And this is a little bit of a, a, a new and unique experience. So this is a, a good thing to, to focus on. So uh, the weather, it is the only thing that determines your rate of return. Mm -hmm. And so just to clarify, so you asked, how do you do it? So on the website, bean.money, you can actually lend beans to Beanstalk directly from Ethereum. So in one transaction, you buy the beans, you send the beans to Beanstalk, Beanstalk burns the beans. That can all happen instantly. And in exchange for however many beans you lend to Beanstalk, let's just stick with a simple example. If I lent 100 beans to Beanstalk and the weather is 419%, I am going to get 519 pods. So for each bean that I burned, I get one pod back, and then I also get plus however many beans I burned times the weather. So in this case, it's 419 additional pods. So that it, you you immediately lock in how what your what your expected return is. Wow. Okay. So at that point, the 519 pods that I just got go to the back of the pod line, which right now. Uh, I haven't checked in a little bit, but it was something like 7 million pods. And so in the future, when the system pays off all of those pods in front of you and then pays you off, you will then have 519 harvestable pods. And when you harvest your pods, you basically redeem them one-to-one for beans. So once you've completed a full lending cycle, you want the beans uh, and then you harvested the pods, you'll have taken your 100 original beans and turned them into 519 beans. And obviously this is uh, changing over time based on the weather, which changes every hour. Got it. Okay. Now that makes total sense. So in terms of someone kind of saying to themselves, okay, how long am I putting my uh, 100 100 beans? How long am I waiting for my 519 pods to come back that I can exchange for beans? What's the, if you have seven right now, we're at 7.52 million in the pod line. What, what kind of is the expected timing on the return? And, and is the pod line a way to um, throttle, you know, exchanging and dumping if, is that kind of its purpose is to make it so not everyone, everything is coming out at the same time and being sold. Is that kind of, part of the reason for way the pod line works and re- getting your return on your lending? So there's a, there's a couple of different things to answer here. One is that the, the first in first out pod harvest schedule is primarily, you know, a behavioral incentive where you are incentivized to sow your beans as soon as the weather awesome. is sufficiently high and you deem this as a sufficient return. Right. Um, 
in terms of payouts, so let's go back to kind of a high level view of the system. Let's say that the price is too high and the system is going to mint an extra 100,000 beans this hour. A uh, half of those beans go to silo members and half of those beans go to paying off pod holders. And so in practice, what happens is anytime pods are harvested, they will be harvested with the price above or just about one. Got and it. so the idea being that especially like right now, you know, with the price at about 50 cents, you can buy two beans for every dollar. You can sell those beans and get a 400% return on both of those beans. So it's really like double that. And then when you have the opportunity to harvest your pods and sell, you know, almost guaranteed you'll be able to sell it over a dollar. And if not, you'll basically be at exactly a dollar. Yeah. And so to answer your specific question on the time or the duration, there's no guarantee as to the time for when the pods are harvestable. Beanstalk will never default on pods, but there's also no time that the pods expire. And so there's no risk of default necessarily, but the, the, the exact time until you get paid off is not determined. So you kind of, this goes back to the different opportunities in the system you can have 24 hour liquidity in the silo, or you can have illiquidity in the field, but typically the field will offer you a higher rate of return for that sure. illiquidity. Right, right. So there's a, so now I get it. The, the pond line reduces when beans are over a dollar, right? And that's when the minting happens and that's when the, the, the beans are, are given to people that were in line on a first come first serve basis. And you're right, the beauty of it is, is that right now with the current price of 50 cents, and the weather at 419%, it's a pretty attractive investment. And you're also, as a community, incentivized to continue to help the protocol get back to a dollar in order to see the gain that you've had on your, your lending investment. Am I correct on that? Yeah, that's all correct. And, and as, as you can probably tell, each of the different participants in the system all have their own unique incentive structures that are designed to facilitate people to, you know, without direct coordination, but to get everybody to be in line with the general interest of the system. So, you know, you can't dictate what people do, but you can you can offer them incentive structures that hopefully facilitate the type of behavior that the system wants to see. Right. Absolutely. And so, yeah, no, I mean, it makes complete sense. And look, we everything in life is based on incentives. So I, I think the, the model here makes a ton of sense, uh, a lot of sense. What else should we know about how the system functions or the opportunities for participation that, that you'd like to make sure people understand and are aware? By the way, you guys did a great job on the interface. It's it's really nicely done, elegant, smooth, clean. Well, well, we, we really appreciate that. You know, uh, not to not to over pontificate, but we, we really have taken this seriously, and uh, our our main our main focus and our main goal in how we have conducted ourselves throughout this entire process are certainly, you know, over the past six or seven months, once we decided that you know we were going to do this thing really, the the complete and right way, is to put Beanstalk in the best position to succeed as this you know as as the stablecoin protocol for DeFi. And so part of that is is making a user interface that is somewhat easy to use. Obviously, there's a steep learning curve when you first come to the protocol. So, you know, there's a how-to guide and step-by-step uh, -step instructions and a lot of supplemental material. 
But in terms of what else, you know, we'd really like to highlight other than, you know, the focus on making this work in the long term is that the system is going through right now, like really through the ringer in the sense that, you know, we didn't have any marketing or any sort of uh, big launch, you know, just to juxtapose it with something like Faye, which had over a billion and a half dollars committed to the protocol before they launched, you know, we basically decided to go the radically opposite route and start start at, at, at really zero. And the, the main reason for that is a protocol that requires lenders also needs a credit history. And so the, the idea being that the it, you know, if we started at a hundred million or a billion dollar supply and now the price tanks 10%, like good luck finding a hundred million dollars of creditors if you're a brand new protocol with no credit history. Yeah. So instead, we really did start small and organically. And, you know, just to give people who are probably looking at the price charts over the past week or two and saying, well, what's going on? So the system basically a week and a half ago kind of blew up and we don't even really know necessarily where it first kind of caught the eye of the public or crypto Twitter. But in in just a few hours, the system went from like a two and a half million dollar market cap to over $40 million. And, you know, obviously that type of volatility is a lot for a, a, a new stablecoin protocol to handle. Sure. And that was perhaps ex- exacerbated by, and this this did put a big smile on our face, but one of the, the Discord community members basically said something along the lines of, once all of the people that were aping into the protocol realized there was no way for them to easily extract value from the protocol, they quickly left because they realized they couldn't game the system effectively. So on the one hand, that's, that's awesome. a very good sign for us that the, the protocol is working yeah. as intended. But on, on the other hand, you know, eight to $10 million of capital flowed into the protocol very quickly and then flowed out of the protocol just as quickly. And so now the system is, you know, and ultimately the joke is, even though this wasn't how we drew it up on the big board, it is certainly like an incredible thing for the system to go through and prove that it can survive basically anything because going forward, the idea of having a similar type of volatility at like, you know, a $20 million market cap where we'll probably settle towards the end of this debt cycle. You know, even if we took in $20 million, you wouldn't have anything close to that type of volatility. So this is really like a, you know, a huge test and also a huge opportunity for the system. But in general, we're, we're incredibly thrilled by, you know, the functioning of the system, the response of the weather to, to the current, you know, real-time situation in the system. And, you know, most importantly, the system has attracted, you know, as you just said a, a little bit before, seven and a half million pods. So when we talk about the system issuing debt and attracting creditors, it seems that there is, you know, and if you can look at the growth of the pod rate, the pod line over time, like every day over the past couple of days, there's been a major increase in the amount of money that's been lent to Beanstalk, which is very encouraging. So, you know, when we think about 
where we actually are in this cycle. Immediately after the system kind of blew up and spiked up to as high as $4, there was pretty consistent withdrawal activity from the silo where there was over two, sometimes three million beans being withdrawn from the silo every day. And the system, you know, obviously the price went down significantly as that was happening. But two days ago, the withdrawals finally fell below a million dollars. And then yesterday, they fell below half a million dollars. And today, they're as low as like something like 300,000 beans. So the, the withdrawals have almost entirely stopped. The people that are still in the silo have more opportunity cost to leave now and seem to be you know, here for the entirety of the cycle. And the selling has effectively you know, dried up. And as is evidenced by the price action over the past 36 hours or so, since the withdrawals really dried up, you know, there is demand for beans, there is demand for, for debt. And it's just, you know, a question of, you know, how, how, how the system, how quickly the system is able to attract, attract new, 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 new lenders. But it seems that the system is, is doing that effectively and somewhat efficiently as well, even during its first major test. Yeah, that's that's actually pretty awesome. I I I got to believe. I mean, I know you guys obviously you thought through this thing quite a bit and and modeled out how it would function, but I have to also believe that there was like this mix of excitement and dread when all this money piled in because it wasn't really what you wanted yet, I'm assuming based on kind of what you just talked about because you had this nice steady line of maintaining the peg and then suddenly there's this massive surge and on one hand you're like, "Oh god, you know, I'm sure you're thinking through, did, did we do everything right? And, and, but on the other side of it, it's like this awesome test of, yeah, did we do everything right? And it looks like, you know, maybe we did and things are functioning the way they should. Was that kind of like what the experience was like for you guys over the last week? Well, you know, it really was surreal. And on the one hand, there was immense tribulation that there were more eyes taking a look at the protocol. And sure. obviously, you know, it was very exciting to see a generally positive reaction to everything. But, you know, and our families are calling us, oh, my God, what's <laughs> happening? You know, the whole the whole yards. And ultimately, you know, A, having seen the way that these other, other algorithmic stablecoin attempts go through cycles and be having designed the whole protocol, you know, our advice to everyone who called us was basically like, you know, <laughs> the real test is just getting started. Yeah. So on the one hand, it was very exciting, but on the other hand, this is, you know, and not to be overly academic because we're not, we are not academics and, and don't pretend to be the system really was designed theory to handle anything you want to throw at it. And specifically, anything you want to throw at it, right. like when you think about attack vectors, you know, like one of the potential attack vectors is to artificially inflate the price and then try to crash the price. And so, like this isn't something that was uh, not only not planned for. Like this was, this is expected. Like if, if anything, this is what the protocol is designed to handle. So the fact that right. that the test is just so large because the order of man, like there was literally four or five times the like the total market cap of the system that came in in, a, in just a few hours. Like the <laughs> test is a big test, but at the same time, and we don't say this lightly, Beanstalk is designed to be resistant to attack from governments. It's designed to be resistant to, a, to Soros type attacks. It's designed to be resistant period. 
So it, it's just very exciting to see and to also have the opportunity for Beanstalk to show that even in such an infant state, even with such a, an unsustainable period of growth for a couple of hours, even with all of that capital immediately leaving the system, the system fights on and the system lives to fight another day and eventually the peg will be returned. And at that point, the system is going to be in a really, really, really good position moving forward. And that's what excites us now. That's that's awesome. I'm excited. That's actually that's actually really cool. You know, on the on the decentralization perspective of this thing, do you are you guys kind of taking an approach of you know a deploy and your hands off, or or how much control do you have over over things as as this thing progresses? Did you kind of maintain some admin control to be able to still uh, tweak things or handle any problems that might come up? So so the the short answer is. Uh, Yes, like currently the deployment address still has unilateral ability to modify the Beanstalk contract, and uh-huh. that has come in handy. There have been, you know, especially as the system blew up over the past couple of weeks, you know, we had a, a large, uh, you know, set of bugs that were reported. Only two of them turned out to be actual issues with the contract. Both were minor. There was like a total of less than 5,000 beans or so that might have been misallocated, but you know, it was a very quick fix. And those are the types of things that for the short term, you know, are the reason why we the deployment address still has the unilateral ability to modify Beanstalk. But, you know, Beanstalk was implemented as an upgradable diamond and through a bit, through a Beanstalk improvement proposal in the future, our hope and our expectation is that the community is going to, you know, remove that ability from us in the future. And when you ask about kind of what's our mindset on being hands-off or being hands-on, you know, this is a a deeply pivotal time for Beanstalk in the sense that, you know, the quality of the community and the quality of the, the discourse that is happening around the future of the project and the ability of Beanstalk to attract high quality developers and other high quality, you know, minds in the space and and to potentially make the pitch that beans should really be adopted as the 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 stable coin that is used across DeFi, there really needs to be a, a high level of faith in the protocol itself. And so, you know, in addition to obviously like resistance from, you know, being strong armed by governments, you know, another reason we, we, we like being anonymous is that it does really provide the opportunity to, you know, not necessarily immediately, but in the near future transition this to a, a primarily community developed and community run, you know, protocol. Our goal is not to be, uh, you know, and it's not about hands on or hands off. Our goal is not to have everyone reliant on it to keep being stuck going. Our goal is for Beanstalk to keep going because Beanstalk is sufficiently well-designed and has a sufficient pool of supporters and creditors behind it, you know, that we don't need to be there. Right. So it's it's not an exact science as to how to make that happen or, or when to lower how much we have to do with the protocol. You know, right now we're still in the process of putting out supplemental materials, you know, and doing an interview like this. This is our first such interview, but things like this are really meant to bring this to more more people, bring this to more eyes and ears, and and hopefully facilitate that, you know, transition away from uh, being dependent on Publius. But, you know, we did just get started 52, 53 days ago or something. So, yeah. you know, Beanstalk remains young. 
decentralization never is instantaneous or rarely instantaneous. So no, I totally, I totally get that. Here, here's something I'm kind of interested in. It, it sounds like you've already built kind of a strong community. And th th this is something that I think is actually interesting about this. When I first looked at your website and then started going through the documentation, I found a bit of a disconnect for me in terms of the, the nomenclature, the, the terms that you use to describe the different components of the system. And my my initial kind of traditional concern from a marketing or business development perspective on that is, is what that means is, is that you potentially lose out on some users who don't go through the work. But as we've talked through the system, I actually am starting to believe that, and I haven't really jumped into your community to take a look yet, but I'm actually starting to believe that that actually is a, um, could be a feature of the system. And by that, I mean, is that I think that that obviously community is critical and you want people engaged with it. And there's a, there's a level of investment required to get conceptually how things function with Beanstalk. And so I'm wondering if what, if you're seeing that reflected in the community as it's growing, are you seeing that the people who are participating and are enthusiastic about the protocol are people that are more likely to stick with it because they've invested the time to conceptually understand it? Well, the short answer is definitely. And, you know, one, one, one of the ways that we really like to, to live our lives, not just with regards to Beanstalk, but in general is you try to act in a way that, like, you put people in a position where however they act, you're comfortable with the outcome. You know, ultimately, people are going to do what they're going to do. But in the case of Beanstalk, the, the real goal is to to attract people that are curious and people that are uh, really uh, interested in putting in the time. And, you know, I don't say this lightly, but the people that came in and then quickly left the system last week are kind of the opposite, who never okay. wanted to, and, you know, granted us, you know, some, some percentage and it's certainly non-zero of the money that came in last week does fall into that category. And those are the people that have stuck around, that have done their research, that are now, you know, still in the system. When you consider, you know, the ultimate, you know, the market cap was two and a half million before the system pumped, uh, you know, the bottom was somewhere around five million or a little bit above that. So you do consider like there was still a major growth in the community. There was still a major growth in the value of the system and the capital invested in the system, but we're not you know, Beanstalk is not interested in just being another, another, another throwaway project. You know, Beanstalk is designed to set precedent for the industry. And part of setting precedent is, you know, and it's not about, oh, we wanted to be original and we didn't want to do everything the way other people did it. We, we realize that and recognize that there's an opportunity here to set the stand for, for, for the industry with regards to, to stable coins going forward. So, you know, using an epic as opposed to a season, you know, it's all just nomenclature, but at the end of the day, it's actually so much more than that. And it's a real litmus test for, for the type of, the type of people we're hoping to attract. That's great. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense in terms of, look, I think one of the things that happens in the, in, in looking at a project like this, right. People are in DeFi to turn some money into more money or, and, or, I'm very similar that way, right? My initial attraction into crypto years ago was, oh, there's an opportunity to make some money here. And then once I dove dove deeper and understood conceptually what I was getting into, it became much more about 
how do I make sure that the whole world operates um, on these kinds of principles of freedom and decentralization? And that becomes part of what you're doing. And I, I think that there's a similar thing here, right? There's an opportunity in this project for people to come in and make a lot of money and then become true believers or participants in the DAO and in, in the project overall. Do you think that there's a risk with algorithmic stablecoins in general that once things once a once a project has proven itself and is functioning well do you think that as the kind of individual returns that can be gained leave you with just a hardcore group of people that just like the project and what it does for the ecosystem and it's more motivation the motivation is less about making more money and more about just changing the system or do you foresee that that along the lines that that over time that that people will still be able to kind of earn from the protocol and participate because they want to see a better algorithmic stablecoin and they want to see a better source of money? Well, uh, you know, I'm going to kind of go a third route of answering this and not accept uh, either of the two options you nice. presented, which is it's not necessarily exclusive. So, you know, right, right now, obviously, with a $10 million market cap, and you can look at this and say, well, you know, if this thing works, it's a $10 billion, $100 billion you know, you look at the supply of other U.S. stablecoins, there's obviously right now a much higher potential return than if you deposit into the silo at a billion-dollar market cap. Right. Uh, however, there's two separate things to, to focus on here. One is that the type of capital that would be interested at different sizes is kind of built into the growth model, meaning that as Beanstalk grows, it should attract like a different set of capital right? in the sense that, you know, there's all sorts of different participants in the DeFi ecosystem and they all have their own unique risk return profiles. And so in line with the overall potential return that you can earn from Beanstalk going down, that will also go hand in hand with Beanstalk no longer being a brand new protocol that's never been through a debt cycle and has no no consistent credit history, you know. So over time, your return may come down, but your risk may also come down significantly. Sure. And then the, the second prong to this is when you consider what we're actually setting out here to do, which is to have beans adopted as kind of the base stablecoin of all of DeFi, there's a lot of utility that isn't even accounted for here. So like previously, we've just been really talking about and envisioning how does the own internal mechanisms of Beanstalk enforce Beans to return to a peg, but that doesn't even account for over time. There really should be, especially if Beanstalk can establish that it will return the, the price of one bean to $1 over a period of time, there should be real demand, organic demand for Beans that comes from people that don't want to deposit in the silo or, or sell beans in the field, but instead want to use beans across DeFi. And so that really becomes where, uh, you know, it's not necessarily about where, how does the change in turn affect, you know, the people who want to participate in the system. That's like the best problem to have because that means that the system is working effectively. Beautiful. Love it. So I, I think that makes complete sense. And I love that answer. I absolutely do agree that you'll have a different type of people participating when the risk re reduces and the gains reduce. But I think that's evident in other protocols in DeFi. Over time, there's a shift from kind of aggressive 
thrill-seeking early adopters, fascinated with the whole thing to people who are more risk-averse and so see something that's stable and functioning and integrating in the DeFi world as a whole, and they see the value in that as well. In terms of, um, look, it, it's you've already got great success in a very short period of time in terms of proving the protocol and getting people engaged with it and seeing that it's functioning the way you had hoped it would function, right? And I, and I think that's phenomenal. But then I guess the next big step for you is, are you as a team or as a DAO planning to go out and really start working and trying to engage with other projects for integration and for use of, of beans within their protocols? Kind of what's your, what's your approach going to be to kind of growing and seeding bean throughout the DeFi ecosystem? Yeah, that that's a really great question and something that, you know, we feel like there's a a right way and a wrong way to go about this. So many, many protocols in DeFi ha have these large treasuries, which we find to be incredibly inefficient uses of capital, and they end up just kind of sitting there and are almost always either not used, underused, you know, or misused. Right. And so, you know, our, our basic philosophy on this is, especially as Beans, you know, returns to a peg and completes its first major debt cycle over the next week or two, God willing, you know, the hope is that through specific bits, beanstalk improvement proposals, the protocol can, you know, fund a additional development on beanstalk. So the hope is to use bits to to facilitate and fund developers to join the team, contribute, like continue to contribute to beanstalk. And then specifically, this model instead of like a an omnibus treasury model, this also is directly applicable to incorporating with other projects. So if there's a protocol that wants to incorporate beans into it and there's some added complication, through a simple BIP, we can fund that. And the idea being that the community and the DAO can have an effective control over where the specific uh, assets are being spent and on what projects and how to incorporate it. But generally, you know, given the interoperative nature of Ethereum and DeFi and, and the ease of integrating you know, another ERC-20 standard token, our expectation is that a lot of that integration is going to be driven not by, you know, paying for it, but as much as just demonstrating utility. And as soon as this Beanstalk does demonstrate the beans are a reliable, truly decentralized, algorithmic stablecoin that is valued at one US dollar over time, our expectation is that they're like just the, you know, kind of we go back to the auger example. There's a natural incentive for a lot of these protocols to add beans to, to their protocols. So, right. uh, step one is completing the first debt cycle. You know, at, at that point, given that the system will really be at some sort of equilibrium, our expectations that volatility will come down for a period of time, you know, and at that point, it, it that becomes kind of the first major opportunity to start. Uh, actively doing some of that, you know, development and potentially also, you know, starting to to directly incorporate with other other protocols. Very nice. Now, I, I think that makes sense. Any plans for direct layer two integrations, any, you know, Polygon, any of the others that are out there now, other chains, any any thoughts on that? Are you guys going to stick strictly to mainnet for now? What What are your thoughts around that? So so the conversation around layer two and different networks are are related but separate. Right. You know, in general, we really do want Beanstalk and like basic U.S. dollar deposit accounts to be accessible to everyone. 
even if they are, you know, really smaller silo members. And that's very important to, to us. But at the same time, one of the main things that really must must be part of Beanstalk is censorship resistance and decentralization. And so, you know, to start with these these layer twos, and they really are doing some incredible, incredible things, we're, you know, we're actively watching those protocols. And as we feel much more comfortable in their level of decentralization and their resistance to um, to attack, that becomes something that's very interesting to pursue in some capacity. But as of now, we're not in a rush to do that. And we're, you know, our main focus is just having Beanstalk establish its its economic mechanism fundamentally works. But with regards to other protocols and you know, even depending on the specific implementation of the layer two, in most cases, let's say that someone wanted to issue, you know, a, a US dollar bean on Solana, just to give an example, like the the economics basically dictate that what is much more likely to happen than some sort of like cross-chain bridge is to actually have a separate totally independent beanstalk yep. on those other chains right. that issue their own assets, have their own funding rates, have their own kind of mini ecosystem. But if, you know, if the 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 granddaddy beanstalk, the original beanstalk on the Ethereum mainnet continues to hold its dollar peg, that should really be, you know, kind of a, a nice a nice tailwind to to help some of those other beanstalks get off the ground. But that's not in our immediate plans. You know, if you look at the white paper, that's consistent with the original vision and that remains the vision. But at the moment, you know, goal number one is just having Beanstalk continue to develop a strong community. And as part of that community development, returning to a peg. And, you know, that that's really that's that's more of our focus than a layer two. But everyone is actively asking about that. And it's definitely, you know, it's important to us to make this more affordable going forward. Sure. Yeah. I mean, look, I, th I think for, for smaller investors, it's tough to do mainnet these days. And so I, I definitely can see why you'd be getting pushed for that. But it also makes sense for you to to build and stabilize and prove what you want to prove. I don't mean for proof's sake. I mean, prove that it functions so that people can trust in it and you can expand its reach. I and mean, it makes sense to to start where you are and not try to expand too much into other layers or other protocols right away. Is there anything that we haven't covered about Beanstalk and the protocol that you really think we should talk about? I think we've kind of covered all of the, the basics. You know, maybe one last thing to highlight uh -huh. is that the stock ownership from seeds, you know, if you think about how that is dilutive, uh, really is designed to increase the decentralization of the ownership of the protocol over time, because anyone can you know, and, and this is specifically, we want to highlight that this is not a seniorage coin. There's no seniorage token. There's no early group of investors that basically have this unlimited upside on the growth of this protocol that they seeded. We think that's fundamentally wrong. Okay. And instead, by having the ability for anyone to get their stock and seeds by purchasing beans on the open market, and then the way that you know your stock grows over time, and which is effectively non-dilutive, it's slightly dilutive to bean deposits over LP deposits because LP deposits get more seeds. Right. But the, the growth of stock over time, the, the primary function isn't to dilute people, it's to encourage people to stay in the silo. 
And then when you consider the way that people, anyone can mint their own stock and seeds, it really is a, a model that should lead to much more decentralization of the protocol over time. I think people like mission driven. And I think it, it sounds to me like Publius is, is incredibly mission driven for censorship resistant and decentralization. And so I think it bodes well for your, your success and your growth. I always ask everybody that comes on the show, are there people and or projects in the space that you have a ton of respect for, or that people should be watching either people that we know about or people we don't know about, or people that from in your particular case that are really kind of mission driven, you believe the way you are and are delivering on that. Are there, are there people or projects that kind of fit that for you? You know, we're going to take a little bit of a cop out here uh, at, at risk of, you know, or really to prevent the risk of offending some, you know, the building, building decentralized protocols is really, really difficult because at all kind of all points in time, there's an opportunity to cut corners and, you know, to not cut corners and to, to kind of stick with the original vision you know, and obviously the the vision needs to change in line with new market data. You know, we are we are kind of continuously going to propose updates to the to the stability mechanism, although they're generally minor updates. They're they're updates nonetheless. You know, are, when we when you talk about, do you want to give like you know, other people that inspire us in the space? Like we are so deeply inspired by like if you really think about the story of of the founding of Ethereum, the way the team was, you know, eventually had a lot of problems. It was the Dow hack. You know, now you have Charles Hoskinson building his own network. Uh, when we look at all of the things that went wrong and still you have this incredible network that is, is decentralized and is supported by like a wide variety of teams. You know, I think that's one of the best things about Ethereum is that Ethereum V2 is being developed kind of in tandem by lots of different teams and they're coordinating, but they're also somewhat competing. That is, that's what inspires us. And that's, you know, that's one of the reasons why we, we ultimately were building on Ethereum, but that's also, you know, that's also what we aspire to have happen to Beanstalk, where uh, there's a deep, deeply, you know, variant and diverse community, but that all of the different members of the community, even if they disagree, you know, believe that Beanstalk is going to be a real a real factor for positive uh, change, both in, in DeFi and in cryptocurrency and in the world in general. I think you answered the question and didn't cop out at all. I mean, I think that that's something that, you know, I tweeted earlier today, somebody who was working on some ZK rollup stuff all on their own and post published their paper about it. I love seeing the participation by this incredible diverse community of people who are just driven to make it better all the time. And I I think that's a that's a great answer. It really gets you fired up, doesn't it? Totally does. It's it really it's, gets you fired up. It's incredible to see it's incredible to see what people are willing to do to drive the whole thing forward. And so yeah, absolutely. I think you had a great answer there. I think that's perfect. So how how should people reach out, get involved. What's the best way? Should they just go to the website? What's what, what would you guys like to see them do? Twitter, all that 
So, you know, to participate, you should just check out the website, bean.money. But, you know, in general, if this is something that interests you and you want to learn more or join the community, our Discord is very active. So check us out in there. And, you know, the link to that is on the bottom of the website. And, you know, the email on the white paper is is an email address if you really want to go in the email route. But we're accessible. We're here. And we are determined to make this a success. Awesome. It's great to get to know you guys and great to hear more about what you're building and get a much better understanding of it. I'm, I'm very excited for you. Well, well, we really appreciate your time, Brad, and thank you for having us on and sharing your platform with us. Absolutely. I've worked with a lot of startups in my career and I never get tired of working through the excitement and the danger and the ambition that they all um, bring to the table. And it's a lot of fun. And I'm excited to see where Beanstalk takes this. They're obviously motivated, mission-driven, and excited about what they've built. And they seem to have really planned for what they think is coming next. We'll keep an eye on them and get back to them in six months or so and just see how things are going. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, share it on Twitter. Anything you can do to help us spread the message of financial freedom and innovation in DeFi is greatly appreciated. Have a great day.